So we are continuing, ooh, bring me down a little bit, please. Thank you. So we're continuing in our series uh, focus where we're using the book by Pastor Rachel Billups. She is the pastor of our mother church in New Albany. She wrote a book that's called Unlikely Advent, and it focuses on the characters that aren't seen in the normal Christmas nativity pro, uh, that, that, we, that we visualize. So we started off with Zach, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist. Last week, Dave preached about Simeon and Anna, who actually, which actually happened after the, the birth of Christ. They had children in their old age as well, and, and waiting on God, not feeling like your pasture prime. So this week, I have to preach on Herod. <laughs> Herod's an, an, an interesting person to preach on, being as he's only mentioned in one chapter of the Bible, and that's Matthew chapter 2. And he's only mentioned when it comes to killing all the male children of Israel, of Israel from two years and down, or male children around Bethlehem from two years and down after, having, after the wise men having come to him and told him about the birth of Christ and the star, and this was the Messiah, they tricked him, and they went back to their land a different way and didn't tell him where Jesus was. So he just tried to wipe out a whole generation of male children. So I said, okay, so I got to preach about Herod. But what do I preach about him from, being as he's not in the Bible? So really, I have to preach about Herod from history. So bear with me for a little while. We're going to go through a little bit of a history lesson of Herod. If it's a little bit boring, you can nod off for a little bit. I'll yell at you, wake you back up. It'll be all right. So Herod was born to an Edomian man, which is an Edomite man. His name was Antipater, and he had converted to Judaism. His mother was Cyprus, and she was the daughter of an Arab sheik. So Herod was, Herod was not actually a Jew. He was only a half-Jew at best by convert. Now, as I went through history, there is not much talked about when it came to Herod, so there's parts of his life that I have to imagine. So one thing I know is that Herod's, fa Herod's father, Antipater, he was a politician. He was a politician's man. Now, some of you have heard me preach before. Some of you have heard me speak. For those of you who haven't, my father was a pastor. And while politicians and pastors should be different, sometimes they're not exactly that different. But my dad was a pastor, so as a child, I grew up, and it didn't matter where I went. There was a certain way that I was expected to be. There was a certain person I was expected to be because my father cast a shadow that was so large, and it was something that was hard for me to live up to. So I'll be honest with you. I spent a lot of my childhood angry. I spent a lot of my childhood um, irritated with my father. Because how can I live up to this man that you are? You're the pastor, not me. Now, lo and behold, I turn around and become a pastor, but that's, that's not the story for today. So I can only imagine what Herod went through with his father being a politician. Because, see, his father wasn't just any politician. Any patter had actually positioned himself very close to Rome. He had the ear of Julius Caesar. So when civil war broke out in Judea, he goes to Julius Caesar's aid, and civil war breaks out in Judea. He aids Julius Caesar in his battle against Pompey. So Julius Caesar makes him the minister over all of Judea in the Hasmonean court. Now, the Hasmonean court is still a Jewish court. The Hasmoneans were full-blooded Jews um, from Galilee. 
Caesar also names Antipater's son, I can't, pardon me if I slaughter this name, Facilius, I think, the governor of Jerusalem, and he names Herod the governor of Galilee. So here is where Herod's life actually in history begins to pick up. This is where they begin to record him because now they're worried about the deeds that he does because he's been appointed a Roman governor. But Herod is actually quite the politician himself. What he does is he positions himself close to Mark Antony. And what ends up happening is Julius Caesar ends up assassinated. His father Antipater ends up assassinated. The Parthenians besiege Judea. Herod's brothers are killed and he's forced to flee to Rome. So while in Rome, Herod, being friends with Mark Antony, he convinces them to send him back with aid to fight against the Parthians so that way Judea would fall back under Roman control so they could continue to tax Judea. Now, some historians say Herod was doing this because he wanted to restore the kingdom of Judea because he was supposed to be a practicing Jew. But see, Herod, once again, Herod was a politician. So what ends up happening is the Roman Senate, they send him with the army that he need, that they need, but they also name him king over all of Judea. He goes back, they fight this war with the Parthians, it takes three years, but he conquers them. Now he's in control of Judea, but see, remember back in the beginning I said that Herod was not actually a Jew. Herod was an Arab. He was a Jew by convert at best. So what Herod decides to do is he puts away his first wife and he sends away his firstborn son and he marries a Hasmonean princess and he believes that this is going to gain him favor with the Jews. This will make them happy, but it doesn't. Because no matter what you do, he's not a Jew. No matter what you do, he has no blood right to be king over Judea. And he knows this. So Herod gets crafty. He appoints his wife's 17-year-old brother, the head priest, over Judea, thinking that this will please the Jews so that way they will accept him as king. But what he finds is that the Jews are happy about him appointing him, appointing him the first priest over Judea, but they actually want him as king and not Herod. I'll get to the finish of that story here in a minute because... The thing during the meantime, Herod is doing a lot of things. He's he's building a lot of monuments that archaeologists have found today. He built the city of Caesarea and named it after uh, Augustus Caesar. He built the port cities that Judea would use to protect themselves against invasions, and he also rebuilt the Jewish temple, the same one that as we read about Jesus that Jesus walks through. And what history says is that he rebuilt the Jewish temple in such splendor that even the temple that Solomon had, cre- had built for the Lord could not compare to it. Judea had never economically prospered as much as it had underneath the hands of Herod. So while we call him King Herod and we call him a villain, history calls him Herod the Great because to history, the things that he accomplished were more important than his villainy. So why is Herod only seen as, seen as a villain? Why is Herod seen as this dark character? Because the truth is Herod built these things in order to elevate himself and be marked in history. The prosper, the economic prosperity that Judea faced did not trickle down to the actual Jewish people who were taxed to death 
in order to create these monuments. Now I have to ask, does that sound familiar? We live in a society right now, we live underneath a government right now that does the same exact thing. While our economy may be prosperous, normal everyday people are struggling to be able to feed their families. We read some of these stories in the Bible and we think that there's a disconnect between those times and ours, but if we actually pay attention, times are repeating themselves. Herod is seen as this dark character for many different reasons. He built the monuments they were really for himself. But what he also did, when he comes back from Rome one time, he thinks his, his wife is cheating on him with his first servant. So he kills her. He has her beheaded. He has her father beheaded. He has her mother and her grandmother beheaded. His sons begin to fight now that the line of succession has gone crazy because Herod took nine other wives and had 14 other kids. So what does he do? He turns around and he kills three of his sons that were fighting for his position. See, Herod had a lust for position. He had a lust to be accepted as somebody that he knew he was not. Herod had a lust for power, a power that he was always chasing that just never seemed to be his because, see, the Jews wouldn't accept him, and the Romans didn't find him to be a, a Roman person either. So what is Herod to do? The only thing Herod had to lay on was his pride. So as time goes along, and now you have this Jesus baby being born, Herod's pride swells up, and Herod decides that he will not have anybody taking away his title, king of the Jews. Thus is why he killed all those children. As we teach the Bible, it's like he threw a fit of rage because he was tricked by the wise men, but it wasn't that. He never had any intention on allowing Jesus to live in the first place because his pride would not allow him to give the title to somebody else who actually deserved it. The stories of Herod, the story of Herod is important in our lives. Because while we might not commit the types of sins that Herod has committed, we are all guilty of having a little bit of Herod inside of us. There's always that thing that we see somebody else accomplish that we think should be ours. And it causes us just that little bit of jealousy. There's always that position, that, hap- that thing that happens in life that we feel we should be at a greater position than where God has presented us at. Whether it's on the block or whether it's in the boardroom, there is always a thirst for power. Because we want to be able to control our own destinies. Every single one of us has a little bit, a bit of Herod inside of us. But the difference between us and Herod is this. Herod had chance after chance after chance after chance to find redemption. Herod did great things in the building of the monuments. Herod did great things in building the the Judaic economy. But Herod could not remove himself from the situation. So time after time after time, he passed up on his redemption. Jesus was born. Herod tries to kill the children. Herod does not succeed. If Herod would have fallen back on the faith that his family had converted to, he'd have asked for repentance then. And Herod could have found redemption. But that wasn't good enough for Herod. 
Herod had one more act to commit. This is the greatest act of pride. Because you see, Herod was dying. They think that he had kidney cancer as well as gangrene of the scrotum. And Herod's words were, he had all the affluent Jews gathered up in one. And he said, when I die, I want them all beheaded. And when they asked why, he said, if Jerusalem will not mourn for me, Jerusalem will still mourn. Now, I would hope that I don't know anybody personally that would be that deep in their pride. But I can say honestly that I have a little bit of Herod in me. There are times where I see other people accomplish things that I feel God has set out for me to accomplish. And I say to myself in my heart, God, I thought you gave that to me to do. Why would you allow them to have it before me? There were times, especially in the streets, where I refused to allow anybody to be a bigger, badder drug dealer than I was. I refused to let anybody be a worse sinner than me. I needed to be the worst of the worst. If that's not pride and possession of power, I don't know what is. It may be backwards, but it's the truth. Every single one of us has it. Unfortunately, we even see it in the church. See, the churches that I grew up in, there was always a jockeying for position. Somebody always wanted to have the pastor's ear. Somebody always wanted to be the head deaconess or the head deacon. I'm not saying it's that way inside of Engaged Newark Church because it's not, but this is the truth of the church structure as well. There is always a jockeying for position. That jockeying for position comes from a place of pride. That place of pride comes from a thirst of power. All of these things are things that we are not supposed to chase after if our eyes are focused on the Lord. So I ask you today to look inside of yourself and see what qualities of Herod you have in you. A lot of us don't think that we have them, but if you sit and you look over your life and you look over your relationships, family relationships, friends, work, all of these different relationships, you will find somewhere where you jockeyed for position. You will find somebody that you have been jealous of an accomplishment. You will find a place in your life where you have wanted power that was not yours to get. It's very important that you do this, because here's something that happened with Herod that I don't think Herod counted on. Herod's children saw the evil in Herod, and it passed on down the lines for generations to come. Herod's son, Herod Antipas, was the one who questioned Jesus. He was the one who sat by while Jesus was crucified. His grandson, Herod Agrippa, was the one who killed the disciple James, the brother of John and Zebedee. He was the one who persecuted the church and started the martyrs of the disciples. Herod Agrippa II, the great-grandson, he was the one who sat over Apostle Paul's trial and sent him to Caesar where he would ultimately, years later, be executed. You see how this works out? See, when we don't view our Herods, when we don't recognize our Herods so that way we can find our redemption, it does not just affect us, but it affects the generations that are to come. 
So we look out in the world. We see this generation coming up now. And I hear so much about how bad they are, how out of hand they are, how much trouble they are, how many problems they cause. And it seems as if we put it all on this young generation. But yet there is no accountability for the things that we have done before them that have allowed them to get to this point. I say the same thing looking back at my father's generation. They look at my generation and they say, we're the ones who screwed up the generation that's before us. And I say, well, yeah, guess what? You guys screwed up my generation too, so I guess we're even. You know what I mean? We don't want to view what's inside of us. But how can you ask for forgiveness? How can you be redeemed if you will not recognize the qualities inside of yourself that need redemption? Now, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. But one of the first things that I, ever, that I had to do before I was ever able to preach a sermon for God was look at myself and find the areas in my life where I was more concerned about me than I was God. See, that's the Herod in me. I have these moments where I begin to focus more on what my vision is. And I forget that God is the one who gave me the vision in the first place. That's the Herod in me. I have a brother who his sole purpose is to be elevated to a rich level in life because he believes by becoming rich, he will be respected. That's the Herod in him. He lusts after power and after respect. Do you understand that these things take us far away from God? Do we understand that as we look at the nativity story, these were the things that would become not just Christ's birth, but his whole life. His whole life was dogged by men who wanted power and men who wanted position and men who wanted to claim a throne that was never theirs in the first place. So now we turn around and we do the same thing today. We support men who want to claim something that is not theirs in the first place. We support men and we do things that further people that are after a king title instead of giving the title to the only king that we know. When I talk about redemption, I want to close with this. We are entering into a season. When we come out of this Christmas season, we will be in a season in this country where we are going to need some redemptive favor. All right. I don't care what you support. It's not about that. I don't care where, where, what you plan on doing in any, any booth. It's not about that. It's about the fact that these things that we are going to need redeemed from, they have caused us to treat each other in a manner that we are not called to do. We all need redeemed from that. There's been somebody that's been on the other side of an issue that you don't agree with that you have looked down upon because you feel that what you think is right and what they think is wrong. There has been somebody that you have spoken harsh against, whether to their face or behind their back. What we don't realize sometimes is that words kill people as much as knives and guns do. They have the ability to destroy people's lives. We're entering into a season where they are going to try to draw this out of us. But remember, it was men like this that killed your Lord and Savior.
Remember that it was men who were after these very things that hung him from a tree. Remember that it was men like this who killed the apostles that followed after him. Find that thing in your heart that makes you like Herod. Give it over to God now before all this mess starts. Because the truth is, if we don't find the Herods in ourselves, and we don't ask for redemption, I'm not sure how much longer we survive. Herod missed his chance at redemption. Don't miss your chance at redemption. Your redemption may be your family's redemption for generations to come. The power and position of this world are irrelevant. The things that people think you are in this world, they're irrelevant. The only thing that matters is where God has positioned you at. The only thing that matters is where God has sent you to. There is no power. There is no pride that can save you. There's only one, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have not asked for your redemption, if you have not taken these parts of yourself to the Lord, I invite you to take them to him today. There's no better day than now. There's no better Christmas gift that you can give to yourself, to your family, to your friends, to your community, than to give your life and your soul and yourself to Christ Jesus right now. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't allow these parts in you that are like Herod to grow. You have to remove them. Redemption is at hand. We celebrate it in this season as its birth, as the birth of Christ. That's the celebration of the beginning of our redemption. So what better time than now? Let us pray. Father, I thank you. For by your Son, we are redeemed. I thank you that these things that are inside of us do not have to stay that way. I thank you that you give us the chance to call upon your name and become the creatures that you have called us to be. But Father, I come before you, asking you to open up the spiritual eyes of every person in this room, that they may see the parts of them that are like Herod, that they may take those parts and give them over to you and become the people that you want them to be. But Father, I also pray this over myself, for I know that there are things inside of here that are still unfixed, that I still need you to resolve. Father, I thank you for Herod. I thank you for showing me who you don't want me to be. But I also thank you that you protected your precious son from a man like me. Father, we don't deserve you. We don't deserve the gift that you gave in this season. We don't deserve your forgiveness. But yet you promised that you give it anyway if we come to you and we truly believe. Well, Father, let us come to you as true believers, giving all, committing all into your hands, that we may be redeemed not just for us, but for our children and for future generations to come. Father, I don't ask, ask this from you for tomorrow. I don't ask this for next year. Father, I ask it for right now. Send your grace upon this place that we may leave this room changed people by the power of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.